I'll be reading from Hebrews 3:14 through 19. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original convention firmly to the very end. As we just been said, today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And whom did God swear that they would never enter rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It has been an interesting week. Um, and I'm going to say right up front, I'm curious to see what God's doing. Uh, I feel like this has been one of those lessons in preparation that Satan really did not want heard. And so all kinds of things that you can imagine have fallen off of the, uh, the vehicle this week trying to get to this and get it done. Uh, printers that wouldn't print. Um, uh, thoughts that wouldn't come together, uh, wouldn't gel. Um, uh, things that I had hoped would happen as far as uh, illustrations uh, got confused, got messed up, all kinds of things that I could go into detail and you don't need to hear. But uh, this morning, I believe with all my heart, God has a message that he wants you to hear. And today, when you hear his voice, can I encourage you again, do not harden your heart as those who did in the rebellion. Listen to him. He really does have something to say. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. One of those things that uh, has been a hurdle this week is getting over being sick. I've had bronchitis, trying to get over that. So I I ask your forgiveness if I sound a little horsey this morning and if I have to go to the water several different times. It's just uh, been a difficult week in a lot of ways. But I'm going to have to run like the wind as soon as this lesson is over. Because I've got a daughter who's receiving a award tonight in Lubbock, Texas. And she needs for her mommy and daddy to be there. And so as soon as I'm done, I'm going to be bolting out of here. So if you wanted to, to share something with me, please don't think I'm rude when I'm not on the premises, all right? Uh, we're already making our way to Lubbock as soon as we're done. I want to start with a question this morning. Have you ever known a person for quite some time and in a conversation with them one day, you find out something that they've done That literally just takes you by surprise. You jumped out of an airplane? Really? You raced dragsters? Come on. You played golf with Byron Nelson? You built a house? You don't even have a contractor's license. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you're you're rocking along and you think you know a person and they mention something and you go, You did what? I was having a conversation like that when we first got into our house in Fredericksburg. There was a a push at that time in Oak Hills when I was working for Oak Hills to to reach out into our neighborhoods. And it was one of those things that blessed my life immensely. And so we were doing that. We were moving into our new house. and We thought this would be a great springboard to invite the neighborhood to come and get to know them. And so we talked to 14 people in our neighborhood. They must have really wanted to get to know us quick because all 14 said yes, they would come. 
Well, one reason was because the house that my wife renovated was called the trash house, and they just wanted to be nosy and peek inside and see what she'd done. She's done some great things. But we invited 14 of them over, and it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. And I asked a question to get to know these folks. I said, what's one thing that you enjoy doing that people know you for? And I got answers like, well, I like to play golf, or I like to hunt, I like to garden, I like to play bridge. And Bob said, "Ah, probably running. I love to run. And his wife said, well, he should. He'll never tell you this, but Bob ran 50 marathons in 50 weeks. And Bob added, when I was 50. (laughs) True story. If you'd like to read Bob's story, get on Amazon and get the book Spaghetti Every Friday. Bob Fletcher became only the second man in history to run 50 marathons in 50 weeks, but he was the first man in history to do it at the age of 50. And he lives in my backyard. (laughs) We're starting a series of lessons that I'm calling God Did What? In it, we're going to be looking at certain texts in Scripture that I think would leave any first-time reader saying, God did what? Even for those of you who've cut your teeth on these stories that I know you've heard many times. And for those of you who are losing your teeth over these stories that you'll hear many times. They point us to a God that I believe is capable of anything, anytime, anywhere. That there is no God like the God that we serve. Amen. There's a time and a place, I think, in church to talk about what God expects of us. How we ought to behave. How he hopes it will act towards our mate and our kids and our employees and our teammates and our parents. There's a place, I believe, in church to talk about what we should and shouldn't do. But if there's anything that I think best supports what our behavior is to be like, it's understanding what God is like. So this week we're going to be taking a look at a God who spoke. We're going to actually look at two different instances in Scripture where he did speak. There's several of them. But we only have time to really look at two. But I think you already know he spoke, or at least I hope you remember that we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Just four weeks ago, we were reminded again in Genesis that in the beginning of time, God spoke. And when he did, galaxies came into being. Stars and moons and Mount Everest and zebras and monarch butterflies and redwoods and great white sharks. All of that came into existence because our God spoke. Now, you know he spoke them because I ask you, do you believe that he spoke? And you said, yes, we believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the real question is. Do you believe he speaks now? There are a couple of extremes that will influence your answer. One comes from the 17th century, and it's called deism. It was a belief about God that came about during the birth of the Enlightenment. Rationalism was becoming a popular way of looking at the world. Rationalism would say, it is obvious that something intelligent made this place. There was a creator, but we see no evidence that he's still around. He must have left. That was called deism. And a deist would say, there is undoubtedly a God. He spun everything into orbit, we believe. He set some natural laws in place to sustain life on planet Earth. But we believe he made an exit. He's gone. Good luck. 
you may be there this morning and you may not have known that you were a deist. You may not even call yourself a deism, but you pretty much could say that's how I see the world. You wouldn't be alone. And even if you wouldn't claim to be a deist, there's a good chance that deism has influenced how you look at God and the way he works in this world. It's crept into many different faith families over the years, including churches of Christ. I've often encountered brothers and sisters who see God's activity in this world as very, very limited, if not void altogether. And they believe that's by design, that there was a time when God did speak and there was a time God created the world. There's a time when he did act, when he did birth his son, when he did raise his son. And he's coming back to bring us into a new world. But until then, there's not much personally he has to do with this world. He did, however, leave us a Bible. And a Bible alone to navigate what in the world we're doing here. I've got brothers and sisters who would never call themselves deists, but their teachers and what they say themselves has been influenced by this extreme. Does God Still speak. One extreme says no. The other extreme says all the time, constantly. It's called continual revelation. God speaks to me every second this view takes. He's directing when I should go to the bank and what I should put in the bank and which bank I should put it in. He's directing what I have for breakfast or even if I should have breakfast. He'll help me with what shirt I'm supposed to wear. He'll help me know what iron to hit to get over the water. Everything he wants to speak to me about. Can God speak to those things? I believe absolutely. I don't want to ever be guilty of putting God in any box whatsoever. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can address all of those things, but I'm not sure he really cares to. There's a mind that he's given you and a conscience that he's given you that he leaves a lot of things up to. I think God's somewhere in between those extremes today. Before we take a look at these scriptures that talk about how God spoke, can I share with you very quickly what I believe the Bible says about a God who still speaks? Number one, I believe with all my heart he speaks through his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so... That the man of God can be equipped for every good thing. Every good thing. I believe with all of my heart that God speaks most clearly and consistently right here in his word. But number two, I believe he speaks through his Holy Spirit. And they are not one and the same. This is the sword of the Spirit, but it is not the Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul tells us that we're to guard the truth of this word that we've been entrusted with by the Holy Spirit that's in you. So what would that spirit speak to? Number one, our hearts. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Bible says that he confirms there that we are children of God. There is another voice in this world who's constantly trying to disaffirm that I'm good for anything or that God would ever care about me. And the spirit constantly is speaking. Romans 8, 16 says to confirm we're his children and he's our father. That spirit also speaks to our minds in 1 Corinthians 1, 13 that says that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. Those without the Spirit receive not the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says, because they're spiritually discerned. Now, this one's a little bit more tricky because I'm, I'm leading this new life in the Spirit, but there's still a lot of flesh in me. Anybody else following that same? Yeah. 
And it's a little hard sometimes to hear that spirit within me because there is still so much flesh in me. But I'm trying to learn to walk in the spirit and listen to the spirit. So this isn't always as tricky. This isn't always as easy. This one's much safer. All right. So that leads me to that. He also sometimes speaks through preaching. Sometimes it's very, very helpful what God wants to say to us through a sermon. Listen to first Peter chapter three and verse 10. This one humbles me. I want to encourage all those who've been given the gift to preach, to speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God. Whoa. That's humbling. But I wouldn't be here if that wasn't the truth. If I didn't believe that God could speak through me and say something you need to hear. Nobody needs to hear what I think over 40 weeks out of the year. Amen? No. But we do need to hear what God has to say. And he's assured us that he can speak as the oracles of God through finite preachers. He speaks to the simple life of his son. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. You want to hear from God? Listen to what he says through the life of his son. Where he says there in Hebrews 1 2. In various and many ways God spoke through prophets of old. But here in these latter times he's spoken to us through his son. I love how he speaks through Jesus. He also speaks to the community of believers, the body of Christ. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, he invites all of us who are at crossroads of decisions that we have to make in ways we should turn left or right or up or down. And he says, ask for wisdom and I will generously give it to you. And I think he does in all of the above through his word, through the spirit, through preaching. I think he does through all of that. But I, I believe also through the body of Christ. How do I know that? Proverbs 24 and verse 6 says, Surely you need guidance in war. And victory is won through many advisors. Finn, I hope with all of my heart, you're not just trying to make it in this world alone. That you surround yourself with some advisors, particularly word-filled, spirit-filled advisors. And if you do, you will see you have many more victories than losses. I believe also God speaks through prayer. That if we'll be quiet long enough to listen, God has something to say, not just wanting to hear what you have to say. Be still and know that I'm God. Is a text really we're going to spend some time looking at next week. He speaks also through our circumstances. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, he says, All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, that love him and are called according to his purposes, there are things that he's doing right now in your circumstances. He's achieving a purpose to them if you're willing to listen. One disclaimer. There is one principle that I think stands the test of time when it comes to God speaking. And that is, there is nothing that you've heard in any of the things that I've said above that will contradict this word when laid alongside it. Not the spirit inside you. Not what someone preaches in a sermon. Not what a collective group of advisors have to say. If what they have to say contradicts this word, put a big question mark by that and run. All right? Because this is the measure of all of it. It's his standard. It's his holy word that lasts forever. Usually whenever that's ever a conflict is when one of us comes to one of, a person like me for some counsel and says, you know, I'm thinking about doing X when I'm not sure that God really wants me to do Z, but I really believe that he wants me to be happy. That means do X. Do Z. Always. Forget momentary happiness in lieu of an eternal life with the Father. Those are usually those moments whenever a contradicting spirit or a contradicting word has come into a Christian's life. 
Does God still speak today? Absolutely. I believe with all my heart that he does. The question really is, will you hear his voice? Will you listen? Here's our text, John chapter 10, verse 2. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. They are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Do you believe there's a good shepherd? If you do, say amen. Are you the sheep of his pasture? He has something to say. He has something to say. Are you listening? Do you have, as Jesus often said, ears to hear? That's really the question more so than does he speak, is do I really want to hear what he has to say? Let's pray for those ears, okay? Father in heaven, we're not the only group of disciples gathered today who are trying to hear you. Through all the noise, all the distraction. Father, we want to hear you. Most days. To be honest, some days we don't. Because we've got things we want to do. And Father, we've been broken by those decisions. When they've been crossways with what you would like to do. Father, we lift up First Christian Church this morning. A part of our heritage and a part of our movement that we have grown to know and love. Father, we ask that you bless them to have ears to hear. But, Father, we're asking this morning for this group of disciples. Will you help us to hear this morning and not harden our hearts as some of your flock did in a time of rebellion? And they would not believe, would not place their trust in you, that you can do more than we could ever ask or think. That you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through your Son, Jesus Christ our great shepherd. Father, we've come to hear, but I'm asking, help me speak, but help us hear more from you. In Jesus' precious name and all the church said, amen. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going. God speaks powerfully in Exodus chapter 3. For those of you who don't know Moses' story, they were about to be introduced to A heartless government official has made a declaration for Hebrew babies that he wants them killed. Moses' mother hides him. Pharaoh was a little bit concerned that this nation of Israel that were their slaves was growing a little bit too populated and could be a threat. And so he wanted to thin them out a little bit and wanted some babies killed. And Moses' mom said, not this one. One day she puts him in a handmade boat, sends him down the river to the very same government official's daughter. What irony. 
She takes him in. She raises him till he is grown. And he becomes a prince in the great nation that tried to kill him. But when we meet him, he's on the lamb. He's running. He's hiding out for killing an Egyptian. Trying to protect one of his own Hebrew people. For 40 years, he's been living as a shepherd. When we come to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, read with me. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, well, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. And so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. It's the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites. And there's a lot of other ites there I'm going to skip over. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What shall I tell him? God said to Moses, you want to know who I am? I am. I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What a crazy interchange. God did what? He spoke to a man through a bush. We knew God spoke. The odd thing is, is why, why a bush? What's up with this bush? Well, soon we're going to come find out in all of this story as it unfolds from Genesis to Revelation that when God speaks, usually what he's doing is revealing. One of the unique purposes of this conversation is that God's revealing himself. <clears throat> There's a moment in this interaction with the bush that Moses realizes he's not talking to something plant-like anymore. He's talking to something God-like. He realizes he's talking to God himself. And Moses specifically asked in this conversation, Who is it should I tell these people that I've been sent by? And I love the response. I am. But I don't think it was a response that Moses was expecting. You've got to remember, Moses comes from a country of gods of the sea and gods of the sun and gods of the land and gods of the lightning bolts and gods of the crickets. There's gods everywhere. Which god are you? And he gets back a sentence. I am. Not a name. What do I do with that? 
God speaks to Moses and he reveals himself to Moses, but he doesn't answer all of Moses' questions Moses' way. That's a God I know. I think all of us can identify with that. We have questions that we ask of God. Well, God, what about this? Well, God, what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And what God usually does is just point us back to himself almost every time. Not necessarily the answer I need, but a sentence. I'm right here. Not I was. Not I'm today. Not I'm tomorrow. But I am. I'm right here. During this time, people believed that they could get the name of a God and they could manipulate it. They could use that God to get things that they wanted. And God wouldn't be used that way. He refused to be manipulated. He refuses to be placed in our custody and in our service. And so when he responds with a name, he doesn't respond with at your service. He responds with I am. Church, I believe that when God speaks today, his purpose is to reveal himself more than it is to grant us wishes. He wants us to see him as the steadfast one, the slow to anger one, the abounding and steadfast love one. He wants us to see him, the covenant keeping, eternal, all powerful one, the forgiving one, the empowering one, the rescuing one. He wants us to see him. He doesn't just reveal himself to Moses. He reveals Moses to Moses. Interesting. When we meet this guy, Moses, he's a forgotten man in a forsaken land. When we meet Moses, he's missed the boat. He himself feels like he's been disqualified. He's out of the game. He's just existing. He's not expecting anything. And God sees in Moses more than he can see in himself. Church, I think the same is true for us. I know it's true for me. God wants you to know your true identity. If you're in Christ, you're his child. You're his creation. You're his beloved. He's not always just interested in how you're behaving. He wants you to know who you are. As a matter of fact, I believe that one of the reasons for the, the crazy, idiotic, dark behaviors that we see in this world is because people don't know who they are. From the first grade on, they've been told that they were accidental pond scum living in an accidental universe with no purpose and no plan for their existence. And so when someone wants to come along and rape somebody or murder a classroom or blow up a building, what's the big deal? We're just matter that doesn't matter. Wrong. You're matter that matters. Please hear that. Please hear the living God through this finite, sinful preacher. You matter. You always matter. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are no accident. People may say that you're nothing. They're wrong. I'm telling you, you're something. God wants to speak into our life Possibly maybe today for the first time you've ever been open to hear it. And you know what he wants to say? Listen to me clearly. You matter. You matter. Regardless of what your parents said, regardless of what your teachers said, no, regardless of what your mistakes keep trying to say, you matter. God says, why? Because I made you. Psalms 139 and verse 14. I have plans for you that will blow your mind, Ephesians 2 and verse 19. You may think that I've got the wrong guy, so did Moses. You've got the right God. That's enough. Exodus 3.1 If you give me your allegiance, you're my child. You're a citizen of the kingdom, John 3 and verse 5. You're a priest, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. 
You're forgiven, John 3 and verse 16. You're empowered. You're secure. You're saved. And you're destined to live in the very presence of God forever if you're his child, John 5 and verse 24. You matter. Please hear that. You matter. Because Satan doesn't want you to believe that you matter. Quit listening to the voices of your circumstances or your past or your peers. Pay attention to what he says. God says, I'd like to partner with you. Me? Yes, you. God calls Moses to go and speak to a national leader to help free people who are oppressed. He may just need you to walk across the street to talk to a widow who's oppressed. Or a teenager who just needs to go fishing. He may send you across the office to invite a co-worker to your community group. Because they don't know what to do with their teenager. Friend, you may be here today and you may know God very well. But you may not know yourself very well. God would like to have a word with you. The question is, can you hear him? God spoke through a bush. Next, he speaks through a burrow. Open your Bibles to Numbers 22. Quickly. Numbers chapter 22. It's several years after Moses' death. Israel's moving toward the promised land. And a king by the name of Balak is afraid that what happened to other kings is about to happen to him. There was a common practice in his day that if you wanted to, to triumph over your enemies, go get you a psychic or a prophet or a shaman and have them bring a curse or a hex upon the people that you would like to defeat. And that's what Balak, Balaam does. I'm sorry. There's a lot of bees here. That's what Balak does. He goes and he finds a prophet by the name of Balaam. He's got a great reputation for seeing people blessed whom he blesses and cursed whom he curses. And so he invites Balaam to come up and help him curse the Israelites so that he can defeat them. He sends an entourage on behalf of the nation of Moab to Balaam and says, Our king would like for you to come and curse a people for us. Balaam says, well, I'm going to have to check with God first. And that night he goes up, he talks to the Lord, and God speaks to him. And he says, don't go. I don't want you going. So Balaam does what he always does. He goes back and he tells the folks, listen, I've inquired of the Lord. He says, don't go, so I'm not going. Well, the entourage goes back and they report to Balak. He's not coming. And this isn't in the text, but going through Balak's mind probably was this. Well, everybody has a price. And so he just beefs up the people that he sends back. Celebrities, the distinguished people of his day, the scripture says. And he sends them with a blank check. I will make this very, very good for you. Your reward will be great if you will come and do what I'm asking you to do. The entourage arrives and they speak all of this to Balaam. And Balaam says, oh, let me check with God again, okay? When he has a way of doing that, even when we heard God spoke, speak in our lives, and we know clearly what he'd ask us to do, sometimes a check, an amount of money, or, or just some significance that comes through people that are connected with what we'd like to do, gets in the way. Balaam's hoping that God just might change his mind. It's a lot of money. And God says, all right, go ahead and go. You ever had your mom or dad say that when you've asked them for something and you know they've said no before? 
And you go back and you ask again, and they say, go ahead and go. What's been your track record with that? Mine's been pretty miserable. Uh, go ahead, stick that knife in the socket there. See how that works for you. Now, they wouldn't be that extreme, but it's about some of the things that I was asking for, right? And I knew what my parents thought, but I kept coming back and saying, would you, could you? And when they finally said, go ahead and go, not good. Should have not gone. Neither should have Balaam. But he goes, he's riding on a donkey. Love this story in Scripture. And the donkey, as they're going along, sees this angel of the Lord in the path. And he, and he veers to miss it because this angel's got a sword. And he veers off into the field. And Balaam's not used to this. This is a pretty obedient donkey. He usually takes me where I want to go. And he starts beating this donkey who's turned off into a field to get him back onto the path again. Well, this path leads to this little narrow way where there's this vineyard and there's two walls. And he's, he sees the angel again, this donkey. And so he veers to the right so that he can avoid the, donkey, the, the angel of the Lord. And he crushes Balaam's foot on the wall. Well, Balaam's furious about this. And he starts beating the donkey all the more when we come to our text in Numbers chapter 22, beginning in verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And he was angry. And beat it with a staff. And the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make me make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, You've made a fool of me. If I only had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. What irony. The donkey said to Balaam, I am not your donkey, which you I am not I am not your own donkey which you have always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, and so he bowed down and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now. But I would have spared the donkey. God did what? Spoke through a bush. And he spoke through a burrow. You think maybe he could speak through a preacher every now and then? Sometimes. Balaam doesn't learn much. He goes on, if you can believe it. And in spite of all this, at one point attempts to curse the nation of Israel anyway. And out of his mouth comes blessing. He does it again. He tries to curse the nation of Israel anyway. And out of his mouth comes blessing. I think it sounded something like this. Go back, go back, go back to the woods. Your team ain't got no spirit and your cheerleaders ain't no good. <laughs> now that's the cursing and what came out of his mouth was blessing. Texas fight, Texas fight. Well, it's goodbye to A&M. Or something like that. Amen, John? Amen. He tries to speak cursing over the nation of Israel and blessing comes out. I don't know what that sounded like, but it was wrong. Balaam does not 
succeed in cursing the nation of Israel. But Balaam finds a way to help King Moab to curse the Israelites. Listen to me. Through foreign women and through idol worship. At the end of the story, this is going to cost Balaam his life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This story in particular hits me close to the heart. Because there was a time in my life when a paycheck mattered more to me than hearing God. April of last year, I was a mess. I wasn't doing well physically. I wasn't doing well emotionally. It was the stress of living outside of my spiritual bent, and I knew it. I'd accepted the position at Oak Hills Church, knowing that it was required of me some administrative tasks. But it wasn't long before I realized that it would require someone really with administrative gifts. It just wasn't my spiritual bent. And church, you can operate outside of your spiritual bent doing certain things for a while, but you can't live that way. And I wasn't. And God tried to speak to me through his word. And he tried to speak to me through brothers in Christ and circumstances of my body and my marriage. He was trying to say, you need to quit. This isn't you. I wouldn't listen. The opportunities to preach for the Oak Hills Church just reminded me where my spiritual bent, I think, really was. I wasn't hired to preach at Oak Hills. I was hired really to administrate. That just wasn't my gift. So at the urging of my wife, but basically my decision, we decided to seek God in a rather unusual way. It's a scriptural way. It's a way in which prophets had sought God. It's a way in which kings had sought God. It's a way in which the apostles actually sought God whenever Judas left them and they had to replace an apostle. It was through the casting of lots. I'm not going to go into detail about the teaching of the casting of lots. It's, a, it's an unusual way of seeking God's face, but it is a powerful one. And if you do, the scripture speaks specifically in the Proverbs that if you seek his face through the casting of lots, you must obey or there will be dire consequences. We had four lots that we put before God. First lot was this. Continue as campus minister for one year and reevaluate. Second lot, continue as campus minister, but begin looking for another ministry opportunity. Lot number three, take off a year from vocational ministry altogether and pursue something else. And number four, resign immediately, giving a month's notice. We prayed and we fasted, and then we drew one of those lots. And we drew number four. Resign immediately and give a month's notice. Can I tell you last April, that is not what I wanted to hear. I'd already heard that from God. That's not what I wanted to hear. 
I had a girl in college. I've had a job ever since I was 15 years old and I knew what the next job was going to be. How in the world could I just resign not knowing how I was going to be employed next with a girl in college? I saw a paycheck and what it provided for my family more than I heard a God who would provide for my family while my family was being destroyed. And so we did. On June 29th, last year, we resigned. And it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. Can I just share with you for the next four or five minutes how powerful it is when you believe and you walk in faith, when you trust that God can speak and will speak into your life? We resigned on June 29th. Do you know that on that day there happened to be a couple from this congregation who just so happened to be there? Frank and Virginia Gear. Am I saying your last name right? Greer. Frank and Virginia Greer. And when that, my last sermon was over, they came up to me in tears and said, could we, could we talk with you? I said, we've got a brother of ours who's not doing very well. We may need your help in Kerrville. And I told him very clearly, I'm not in a position to help anybody. I'm just taking some time off. So, well, if we could arrange it, could you meet with a couple of our elders tomorrow and just talk with them? <laughs> the Greers don't hear very well sometimes. <laughs> I'm not very well here. They set up the meeting anyways. And there came Jimmy Thomas and Don Barnett and Frank Greer. And we sat down and they just wanted to talk to me about... What was going on? Why I would be leaving the church? What were the circumstances of this? Is it, is it because of, of something terrible or was it because? Of, and I said, I just laid out what I just told you before them. I said, I know this sounds weird, but I just know that God's asking us to. St- I don't know what's next. And I'm not really ready to entertain anything as what's next. Four days later. I needed a day out of town. I needed a day on the links, to be real specific. I needed to play some golf. So I headed up to Buckhorn. At least that's where I was going. I got in the car, headed to McDonald's to get my senior coffee. I know that's kind of hard for you to imagine that I qualify for senior coffee, but I do. <laughs> Went by McDonald's, got my senior coffee, put on my headset. Man, I was jamming out to Chris Tomlin. Third day, and I was headed up to Buckhorn. Actually, no, that's wrong. I wasn't headed to Buckhorn. I was headed to Shriner. Said it to Shriner, right here in Kerrville. I heard someone say that it's a great course, you need to go play that thing. And so I said, I'm going to go play Shriner. Never played that before and was headed to Shriner. Here's where the comfort comes in. All of a sudden I look up, I'm in comfort, Texas. Okay, for those of you who don't know the highways very well, I was setting out going to Kerrville on Highway 16 and I wound up taking 87 to comfort. That's where I decided I think I'll play the buckhorn. Now stay with me here. This bus is going to go somewhere. I start playing just some golf. I'm just playing some golf. And I meet up with a couple of guys, and we tee off, and, you know, we're just having a great time about hole number seven or eight. They said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm retired. At the moment I was, I said, well, what I was just doing was, and I told them I'd been working with the Oak Hills Church in Fredericksburg. I was their campus minister, but I just turned in my resignation, and I was playing golf today. They said, well, would you think about possibly being an interim minister? I said, 
another group of people that don't listen very well. I'm retired. They said, well, First Baptist Church in Kerrville, we're looking for an interim minister. Would you mind coming and talking to our committee about possibly being one of our interims? Just at least talking to them. I gave them my name and my information. I announced my resignation in April. And on June the 29th, I resigned. And the very next Sunday, I was preaching at First Baptist Church, Kerrville. And it just so happened that one of the elders from this church happened to be in the audience. Isn't that crazy? A month later, I'm in Rudos, New Mexico, preaching at a worship renewal conference for the Gateway Church. When I'm done on Sunday morning, this couple walks up to me, Holly and David Jones. You don't know us, but we're the new head coach at Kerrville. Did you know our minister? we're looking for a minister at our church? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. So, well, you might want to consider putting in an application. I said, well, actually, I'm speaking there in a couple of weeks, but I'm just filling in because right now I'm just taking some time off. And he led him here, kicking and screaming. I was Balaam. Instead of listening to the voice of God and what he was asking me to do, a paycheck stood in my way. What's standing in yours? What's standing in your way from hearing him? The shepherd so wants to speak to a sheep. The question always has been, do we have ears to hear? What's he trying to say to you? And me saying those words immediately brings something up right now that he's been speaking that you didn't want to listen to because something's in the way. Do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion, as those who did not believe. Listen to him. Now, for some of you, this is a first time issue. You've been listening to all kinds of people, but the only person you've not been listening to is God in your life. Where this is going is this. Are you ready to stop listening to everybody else but God and start listening to him? If you are today, we're going to have a time of invitation here. We invite you to come and say, I'm ready to be a God follower. I'm ready to listen to Him and Him alone above all other gods and people and things and circumstances. We would love for you to make that first step today to come find me or one of our elders. There are some of you here who are my brothers and sisters and that's who I'm speaking to mostly in this audience this morning. Have you heard from Him lately? Have you heard from Him at all? In the olden days, remember when we used to take the receiver off the hook when we didn't want to be bothered? Now you don't have to do that anymore. You just simply punch a button and the cell phone goes off and you're offline. Some of you have been offline for an awfully long time because you haven't wanted to be bothered. There's a relationship 
that you know he would rather you not be involved with, that you want to toy with. There's a way of treating your staff that God's been nudging you to break free from and to be a light of Christ in instead of being a rude, mean boss in. There's a way of talking to your team that he's asking you to change because it's not respectful. You want their respect, but you don't want to give them your respect. What's standing in your way that you've not been listening to? Something that you've sold out to that you feel like is more important, your reputation, your money, your peers' understanding, their pats on the back. What about God? God spoke. But church, I believe he speaks. I'm a living testimony to the fact that he speaks. To stubborn prophets and preachers. But you got to listen. Even when it's hard. Would you pray with me? With all my heart, Lord, I pray that you've been heard, not only through Scripture, but through the feeble testimony of this preacher. You are amazing. We're so stubborn. We like our way so much more than your way. We, we think so much higher of our way than we do your way sometimes. So I'm going to pray that there are people in this audience that don't have to go through the physical stress that I went through and the relational stress that I went through. That they could be spared that if they'll just listen and obey. In this garden that we're walking in for the moment, God, I ask you to speak. That your gentle whispering voice would be heard. Above all the clamoring voices maybe of the demons who would like to distract us. What do you want us to hear from you today? What is it that you want us to do? That's swimming upstream in a downstream world. That will not make our friends happy. Or maybe our maids happy. Or our kids happy. Or our boss happy. But will make you thrilled. What is it that we need to hear? Help us to believe that a God who spoke still speaks, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please forgive my emotion this morning. But you are a gift to me. And I almost missed you. I almost missed you. Because of my pride and my stubbornness. You don't want to miss God. He's too good. He's too good. I invite you to a garden. As we stand and sing this song, I invite you to a garden. And I invite you to respond to his voice while we stand and while we sing.